Father, we're so thankful for the privilege of being sons of God. We're thankful because your spirit is here. We thank you, O God, because this is our day and this is our time. Uh, And Lord, as we hear your word, we ask you to open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles. The book of Acts chapter 9. I'll start from verse 1. I'm going to read 19 verses here. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, that's what they called Christians, people of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the gods. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city, and you will be told what to do. And the man who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But he was led by the hand, and, brought, and they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days and three nights, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus called Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, For one who is called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. In other words, Lord, let me give you a little bit of an education here. I have information that you may not be aware of. What you are asking me to do is not as easy as it appears. He said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Now, when Ananias was saying this, imagine he was seeing himself as a saint who has been sent to this person who harm was going to be done to. So he was also thinking about himself and how harm could be done to him because it seemed like the Lord didn't know who he was sending him to. The Lord didn't know where he was sending him to. You know, I was speaking to some friends of mine a few years ago. I was challenging them to get involved in the petroleum sector. And this particular person was shaking her head and said, you know what? All kinds of things have been offered her, but she can't get involved. I said, why can't you get involved? She said, Pastor, you don't understand. I said, what what is it I don't understand exactly? She said, you don't understand how corrupt it is. You don't understand how difficult it is. You don't understand what happens at 4 a.m. in the morning in Abuja amongst those who are in this sector. You don't understand. That was what Ananias was trying to say to the Lord. Lord, um, you don't understand what you are asking me to do. How did the Lord respond to him? But the Lord said to him in verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hand on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, he has sent me that you may recover your sight 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now, of course, with the benefit of hindsight, we know that Paul went on to do great things for God, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, the Testament which we are still reading to this day. But it is important to understand that the impact that God had in the life of Saul, who later became Paul, was as a result of the grace of God, but also as a result of the obedience of this man called Ananias. It's interesting that this is the only time Ananias' name is mentioned in scripture. Now, of course, we know that he went on to do things and walk with God, etc., and fulfill his purpose. But Ananias was a catalyst for the fulfillment of the will of God in the earth. You know, people may never know you. They may never celebrate you in the realm of time. But if you submit yourself to God and obey his plan for your life, you will be celebrated in heaven for all eternity. But there is an important word that we must focus on. The Bible says the Lord came to a certain disciple. Say to your neighbor, a certain disciple. You know, for a few weeks we've been looking at a process of growth because when God saved you, he saved you with an objective in mind. We have read from Romans 8.29 how the Bible says him who he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So when God knew you before you came and he sent you to the earth, his plan for you is that you will grow up to be exactly like Jesus. You'll be like Jesus in expression to the extent that when people see you and interact with you, it will be like seeing Jesus and interacting with him. But there is a process of growth. When you got born again, that was the beginning and it was, it was not the end. There is a process of growth and there is a specific destination. I mentioned last week that you start as a convert, then you become a disciple. And after a disciple, you become a servant. The Bible talks about Paul being a, a bond servant of the Lord. And after a servant, you become a friend. And after a friend, you become a son and you become mature in Christ. So Ananias had moved from conversion to discipleship. Had he not? Now, now, there are certain things about a disciple. And the decision of discipleship is a decision you can make. There doesn't have to be a huge gap of time between being born again and becoming a disciple. You can make that decision on the day you give your life to Jesus. Now, a disciple is somebody that has made a commitment. Everyone say commitment. They have made a commitment to follow the Lord, to obey the Lord, to follow his lead and his direction. You know, last week we read a few verses that spoke about disciples. And you know, a disciple is not meant to be the exception. A disciple is meant to be the norm. We looked at a few verses that spoke about disciples and the attributes of disciples. And because of time, I wouldn't go into them in great depth, but the material is available, get the CDs from previous services. But let's just look at a couple of them. 
Look at Luke chapter 14 verse 26. We're going to read the amplified version of Luke 14. Now the reason for this series is to help us locate where we are, but also more importantly locate our destination and start making progress toward it. Because God did not plan that you fulfill his plan for your life in eternity. He sent you here to fulfill his plan in the realm of time. Uh, I said he sent you here to fulfill his plan in the realm of what? In the realm of time. So you can fulfill it. In verse 26 of Luke 14, the Amplified says, If anyone, everyone say anyone. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for in comparison with his attitude towards God. So it is a reference here, it's a comparison. If this person doesn't do this, and likewise his wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. So a disciple is somebody that, yes, we know our father is the best father possible. He said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we know that following the fatherhood of God is going to make us great fathers. Okay? But then he also said, when he was giving them the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment, is that you'll have no other God apart from me. Yes, I have blessed you with children. I've blessed you with a wife. I have blessed you with a husband. I have blessed you with a job. I have blessed you with your life. But you do not worship any of these things. I must be your God and your God alone. Yeah, that means that it may mean, like in the case of Jesus, sometimes Mary was not happy with him. But when it came to choosing between what Mary, his mother, wanted and what God wanted, he did what God wanted, did he not? Okay, a disciple is somebody that has made a commitment that I will follow God even if it means giving up my life. Now, giving up your life, people immediately think about dying for Christ. But you know, Jesus actually said, that except a kind of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. So when we talk about dying, it's not just dying in terms of your physical life, but dying with respect to your ambitions, with respect to your priorities. You are saying, God, I know I have the skill. I know I have the wisdom to go in this direction. But God, I will do what you want me to do. That is dying. It is saying, yes, and I could start 10 for profit businesses and maximize my time in this area. But God, I am, I am also hearing your voice saying, instead of starting 10 for profit businesses, start seven, and I want you to have three NGOs. That is dying, is it not? All right? The Bible says that unless this person is willing to give up their life following me, they cannot be my disciple because a disciple is a follower. When we call Jesus our Savior and Lord, the word Lord actually comes from the Greek word kurion, which means my master. You don't argue with your master. You don't contest with your master. He owns you. He owns your time. He owns your priorities because you belong to him. He said, this person cannot be my disciple unless you make that decision that I am all for Jesus. If I'm going to be Lord at all, I have to be Lord of everything. So in Luke 14, as we keep reading to the end of the passage, in verse 34, put up verse 34 in the Amplified, he said, salt is good. Salt is good. It's an excellent thing. But if salt has lost its strength, 
and has become saltless, insipid, flat. How shall its saltness be restored? It's a rhetorical question. Once it loses its saltness, that saltness can be restored. It is fit neither for the land nor for the manure heap. Men throw it away. He who has, an, who has ears to hear, let him listen and consider and comprehend by hearing. Now we know that we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We see in this passage that our saltiness is linked to discipleship. Because salt is potent in whatever environment you place it. Anywhere you place salt, the environment feels the impact of that salt. Hallelujah. Salt does not negotiate with its potency. Now, Jesus says that if you don't make a commitment to discipleship, as far as the kingdom is concerned, you are salt that has lost its saltiness, and therefore, you are good for nothing as far as the kingdom is concerned. God still loves us. We're still going to heaven. Yeah? He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. But when it comes to our usefulness to him in the expansion of his kingdom, we will not be useful until we make the decision that I'm going to obey God and follow God with my life with my time, with my finances, with my priorities. Because God has not created us to be good for nothing. God did not purpose you and choose you in him before the foundation of the world and send you out from him into the realm of time and predetermine the era in which we'll be born and the country in which we're going to be born in. God didn't do all that so that you'll be good for nothing. You are good for something. You are here to reveal his glory. But you begin the process by making a commitment to discipleship, to follow him. A convert that does not make that decision for discipleship is like salt that has lost its strength. It is good for nothing as far as the kingdom is concerned. You know, one of the ways in which we can locate ourselves is to ask ourselves the voice of the Lord to us. Is it a praise? differently from the voice of our bodies and the voice of our minds. Because somebody who hasn't made that decision of discipleship will put God's voice on the same level as the voice of their body and the voice of their minds. What do I mean? The voice of your body is your feelings. The voice of your mind is your logic. The voice of your spirit is like the word of God, your conscience, the spirit of God, etc. Now, when the Lord speaks to you, and the Lord speaks to all of us, yeah? But the person who is a disciple has tuned into the frequency of God's voice. And when God speaks once, they hear twice. What do I mean? They recognize that this is the voice of God and they appraise it as the voice of their master. And therefore, irrespective of how they feel, irrespective of what they think, they obey it. But when your feeling is put on the same level as the voice of God, then you have not made that commitment of discipleship yet. When he says, okay, I, I want you to pray tonight. And you say, well, but um, you don't understand. What's the favorite series that we've got to watch? It's on tonight. I've got to watch that tonight. Or he happens to come to you in the midst of the offering. And he says, you know, I want, to, I want you to do more. Or he, he comes to you with respect to your job or where you live. And you see, you're, you're thinking, where you're, when you're thinking and you're feeling, 
is put on the same level or above what God is saying, then you haven't made that commitment of discipleship yet. Because remember, in John chapter 12, Jesus was praying and said, God, glorify yourself in my life. And the Bible says the heavens opened and the Father spoke and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And those who were around him, some of them thought it thundered and some thought an angel spoke to Jesus. And Jesus said to them that this voice didn't come for me, it came for you. So even though God was speaking to them, they could not hear it. They could not perceive it. The word of the Lord came to them, but they could not recognize it because their heart was closed off to what God wanted to say. So don't say God is not speaking to you. God is. Hallelujah. God is speaking to you because you are his sheep. You know his voice. But when we make that commitment to the Lord, when he speaks within our hearts, it might be a simple prompting. It might be a still small voice, but you respond to it and you obey it irrespective of what your logic and your body are telling you. Now let us look at some of the hallmarks of discipleship in Acts chapter 9 that we just read. The Bible says he came to Ananias in a vision. And you know this vision was very clear. It was very specific. He told him the name of where he was going. He told him the name of the person that owned the house that Paul was staying in. It was a man called Judas. He told him what Paul was doing. It was a very specific revelation. You know, a lot of us would like revelations from God. The miraculous. And God still does miraculous things and supernatural things. But revelation or your access to revelation and to the depth of God's revelation is linked to your decision to be a disciple. Notice he came to who? A certain disciple. A certain disciple. A certain disciple. Yes, I know that the Spirit of God is available to everyone. You know, in Joel chapter 2 verse 28, the Bible says in the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit to all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Or your young men will, will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And upon my men servants and maid servants, I'll pour out of my spirit in those days. So the spirit of God is available to everybody. God is involved in everybody's life. Even Nebuchadnezzar, he gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream, did he not? He gave Pharaoh a dream, did he not? These were unrighteous kings. He gave them dreams and revelations because God is involved in the lives of all human beings. Because he loves the world. However, when it comes to the depth of revelation, when it comes to the depth of insight and flowing in the supernatural, these are things that are experienced by disciples. Even that passage in Joel 2, we see a growing maturity in that passage because it says, I'll pour out my spirit to all flesh. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. And then he says, your young men, the inexperienced will see vision. The old men, the more experienced, I'll speak to in riddles. And then he said, upon my men servants and maid servants, upon those who have become bond servants to me, I, I will pour out my spirit. So in frequency and depth of revelation, he will speak and operate with those who have made that decision of discipleship. Let us look at um, Acts chapter 8 real quick. We're in Acts chapter 9. Go to the previous chapter and have a look. We're going to track the life of Philip. A few chapters before, we saw a scenario where the church was going, growing, so they had to put more structures in place. They had to get more organized. 
So the apostle said, you know, we need to focus on prayer and the study of the word. Choose amongst yourself people of good reputation. And they chose some people to be deacons or serving in the house of God. And one of those people was Philip. Now, this is a man who is a disciple. Now, see who a disciple is and the kind of life a disciple lives. And how God responds to people who make that commitment. Verse 5 says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes of one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and the lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Wow. Now, this was Philip. He, he had not become an evangelist. He wasn't a prophet, apostle, pastor, teacher. He was a disciple. But the Bible says that wherever Philip went, there was joy because he was potent wherever he was. Every environment he got into experienced the full impact of Philip. As a child of God, people around you must feel the full weight of who you are and then let them deal with that. They must feel the full weight of your love. They must feel the full weight of the fruit of the Spirit. They must feel the full weight of your wisdom. You are the salt of the earth. Not a salt, the salt. You are the hope of the world. You are the only Jesus that the world will probably ever experience. That office you are in, that job you have, that family you are in, God has placed you there strategically as salt. The potency of Philip was felt in Samaria. Look further down. Verse 20. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And he arose and went. Everyone say he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over all her treasury uh -huh. and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. Now, notice the Lord didn't give him a lot of detail. He began by saying, go to the desert. You know, a person who is not a disciple will first tell the Lord, Lord, I don't think you understand it is desert. There's nothing there. I don't do desert. That is the first education they will give the Lord. I, I, I don't think you understand. You see, the Lord did not feel obligated to tell Philip the whole story. Because Philip was a disciple. When he heard the voice of the Lord, when the Lord spoke once, he heard it twice. Why? Because he had made a decision that I have given my life to the Lord. I will go where he leads. I will follow him to wherever destination he is leading. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? So Philip began to preach the word to him. And then go further down to verse 37. It says, then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. That's be baptized. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way preaching. But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in the city till he came to Caesarea. 
Now, how many of us would like to live the life of Philip? I mean, here's a guy. He's just, you know, preaching the gospel. People are getting healed and saved. And then an angel speaks to him. And then after the angel speaks to him and says, go to the desert. As he's going to the desert, the spirit speaks to him and says, join yourself to the chariot. And it's not just an ordinary chariot. It's a chariot belonging to an influencer of influencers. He was now being connected with somebody who had great influence over a whole country. And then after he gets the person saved, the Holy Spirit comes and transports him from that region bodily to another. How many of us would like to have that kind of uh, manifestation in our lives? Do you know that the only reason why it happened in the life of Philip was because Philip made a commitment to discipleship. It is not any other reason other than that. He made a commitment that I will follow God wherever he leads. No sacrifice is too great to obey my master because I have been bought with a price and therefore I glorify God with my body and my spirit which belong to God. So God could use him. And you know, God will use you. God will use you when you submit to him. To buttress this point about why, why is the supernatural more prevalent in the life of those who have made these kind of decisions? Look at the book of Matthew chapter 9 verse 36. We're talking about growing in him and the commitment to discipleship. Verse 36 says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, or he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth laborers into his harvest. That he may send laborers into his harvest. It didn't say the converts are few. The converts are many. You know, one of the greatest criticisms against our country has been the fact that we have so many Christians and so little transformation. Yeah, have you heard that criticism? What is the church doing? What are Christians doing? Etc. etc. Well, it says the harvest is plenty, but what are few? It isn't the converts, the laborers. The laborers are few. The difference between a convert and a laborer is that commitment to discipleship. The word laborer is a Greek word, egatai, and is used in the sense of agricultural workers. Agricultural workers. A field hand. A doer. Somebody that can be trusted. You know, when there is a harvest, you send in workers, you send in laborers to bring in the harvest. You, it's not people that are going to come and slack on the job, and just, you know, have uh, 10 different breaks, you know, cappuccino break, breakfast, you know, lunch, and, you know, half lunch, high tea. No, that's not what you're looking for. Because if your laborers don't attend to the harvest promptly, what will happen? The harvest will be wasted, will it not? Okay? Now, the Lord says that the harvest, there is a harvest, and there is a timing for the bringing of the harvest. Now, it says the laborers are few. Now, when somebody makes that decision of being a laborer, that person is going to find themselves being connected to every provision of God to help you fulfill the task in hand because the laborers are not many. Are you with me? That's when you will hear more of the Spirit of God speaking to you. You have more angelic visitations. You will have deeper dreams, not to titillate your spiritual bone, but to connect you to what God has you to do. The laborers are few. So the supernatural accompanies the commitment to discipleship. It accompanies the commitment 
to discipleship. Now look at the next thing we can draw from this passage. You know, Ananias said to the Lord, I have heard about this man. And he's a terrorist. He terrorized them in Jerusalem. He's going to terrorize us here. And he's going to terrorize me if I go to visit him. And the Lord said to him, go your way. Go. I have chosen this man. King James, he puts it this way. He says, go your way. You see, there's a different level of interaction and a different way of communicating that the Lord will work with his disciples than he will do with people who are mere converts. One of the hallmarks of discipleship is God shares his burdens with his disciples. Say to your neighbor, God shares his burdens with his disciples. You know, initially we can be good friends and I can say, hi, how you doing? You know, take you out to lunch, etc. But the closer you get to somebody, the more they share their heart with you and you begin to feel their pains and share their burdens. A disciple is somebody that the Lord begins to share his burdens with. You know, there are a lot of Christians that don't even see the harvest. You know, they came to Jesus in John 4 and he said, uh, you know, do you think that there's still four months of the harvest? Lift up your eyes and see. The harvest is, uh, is before us right now. A lot of us don't even see the harvest. Yeah? A disciple will see the harvest. Th their heart will be open to the harvest. They'll begin to experience the burdens of the Lord. God was sharing his burden with Ananias. And he said, Ananias, I need you to do this. Go your way. He didn't tell Ananias that Ananias was not going to be harmed. He said, just follow me in this. Go your way. In fact, he was going to tell Paul what Paul was going to suffer for Jesus' sake. <laughs> Can you imagine that kind of uh, message as your first introduction to God? So Paul was born into discipleship. <laughs> it's like, listen, oh boy, okay, you're born again now. Yes, I want to share my burden with you. Do we want to bear the burden of the Lord? Because the Lord will open your heart to his burdens. The Lord will open your heart to his burdens. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, let a man so account of us. Us apostles account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Ministers of Christ. The word ministers is an interesting word. I don't know, you know, sometimes we will be forgiven for not understanding who a minister is when we look at some of the patterns we have before us. But the word ministers is a Greek word, huparetes, and huparetes actually speaks about an under rower. Everyone say under rower. The best picture of huparetes can be gotten from the Roman galleon. You know, if you used to watch all these old movies, you see these ships, uh, they didn't have propellers, they had slaves in the ship, rowing the ship. They had oars coming out of little holes in the underbelly of the ship. And you could have, if it was a really big ship, you could have different levels of rowers. But the ones that were at the bottom were the, the slaves that had no chance of freedom. Because the closer you got to the deck, the more, the, the freer, the closer you were to freedom. So the under rowers were the ones that, you know, were lifetime slaves. But the thing is, because they were, the they were in the lowest part of the ship, they were the ones that moved the ship. They were the ones that had the most effect in moving the ship. Paul says that we ministers, we servants of God, are the under rowers of the kingdom. People may not celebrate you, but God is celebrating you. When he has an assignment, he goes to his disciples. Praise God. And that's why Paul says, my desire is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. A lot of us, we say we want to know him, but we only go as far as the power of his resurrection. But the closer we get to him, we must come into fellowship with the things that break his heart. 
You can't be a friend of God and not know what is going on in his heart. And God's heart is broken. And the only thing that breaks God's heart is when humanity is being oppressed. God so loved the world and his greatest disciple, his son, left the glory of heaven to come in the form of an under rower, to come in the form of a servant, to take on the likeness of men and serve God that he may bring joy to his God. He said, I want to know the fellowship of your sufferings. And as you begin to draw closer to the Lord, the Lord begins to share his heart with you. It will come as a prompting. It will come as a voice. It will come as a still small voice. And as you value it as the voice of God and begin to respond to it, he will begin to lead you into a place where he can use you to bring freedom. Because the only thing that breaks God's heart is oppression of humanity. That's the only thing that breaks the heart of God. You know what we're doing with lifeblood is a situation in our nation that breaks God's heart. There are a lot of things that are breaking God's heart. And, and you know, the Lord had been witnessing this to me for a while. I hadn't, we hadn't done any research on it. You know, it had been putting that witness in my heart. And I couldn't get away with it. And because of time, I can go into all the whole story. But I made a decision. That, you know, I'm going to respond to this. You see, God is going to share his heart with you. He's going to share his burden with you. And like I said, his burden is not something he wants you to carry without him. He's going to share it with you. And he's going to empower you to fulfill that burden. But to get closer to the Lord and him not share his heart is impossible. You must enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. I said earlier on that one of the greatest illusions is the illusion that you can't make a difference. Because you can. Whenever the Lord shares a burden in your heart, it is because with cooperation with him, you can lift that burden of his heart. That's the only reason why he shares a burden with you. Because there is a solution with your cooperation. Do you know that God would not have done in the life of Paul what he did if Ananias hadn't cooperated? Isn't that true? Because Paul saw a vision of a man called Ananias. Do you know that the world is seeing a vision of the fact that their solution is in the church? That is the vision that the Lord is bringing the world to. To a place where they will look at the mountain of the Lord's house and they will say, you know, there is a wisdom there we must follow. The Lord will share his burdens with you. So anyway, I decided that, okay, I'm going to start making steps. And the first thing we said we'll do was... Um, we're going to hire a consultant to carry out some work and produce research on the blood gap in the country. And we traveled different parts of the country, started meeting with, with people. And we began to get a picture. And we published the report. And we made that report available. And we began to look further. And we're going deeper and deeper into this. But what was interesting to me was um, I attended very recently, a few months ago actually, a, a meeting of... Um, the Blood Bank Society of Nigeria, myself and a, a few uh, members of the team attended that meeting. It was a day training. And in that training, the vice chancellor of Covenant University was meant to be there speaking. He couldn't make it, so he sent his representative. And he had a speech. And we were sitting down there listening. And you know, I'm always, I'm a, I'm a continuous learner. And we're learning. I mean, we're in a space where we're learning a lot. We're growing, we're learning, we're making contacts, etc. So we're learning, you know, and I'm there to learn. I'm there to learn. The team is there to learn. And we're listening. And this guy is making a speech. And in his speech, he's giving some statistics about blood donation in the country. And he made this statement. He said, according to Life Blood Donor Foundation, the penetration of blood in this country is so, so, and so. And I looked at the team. And we're thinking, is there another Life Blood Donor Foundation? I mean, he was quoting from our research. Yeah? 
You see, God will give you influence when you listen to his voice and take on that decision, that commitment to follow him. We are only just, in fact, we have not even scratched the surface, yet you are already being quoted. Yeah? Uh, and God will place you. God wants to do the same with you and with me in every sphere of this world. Once you make that commitment that, Lord, I will follow you. I will listen to what you are saying. I will not be focused on myself. It is you that qualifies me. I will go as you lead. I will apply myself to wisdom. I will bear the burden of your heart. Because when the Lord is talking about the harvest, and he's saying that pray that the Lord will send laborers into the harvest, the harvest of God has faces to it. It's individuals, it's families, it's lives. And when you, you, you enter into being a laborer in this harvest, you are going to impact lives and you're going to change lives. And once you make that commitment, there is nothing. There's no resource. There's no wisdom. There's no spiritual revelation that the Lord will not make available to you in order to fulfill his heart. Amen. So as we bring this to a close this morning, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. It says, leave childhood stuff, let's go to perfection. The word perfection is teleos, which is maturity. Let us come on to maturity. This Christian faith we're in, yes, we got born again as babies, but let's get on to maturity. Live the technon. Yes, you're an offspring of God. Live the brephos. You are a baby. Live the nepios. You are unskilled. Live the huios where you have rights. Live all that and come into the full maturity of what the Christian faith is all about. The Message Bible translation puts it this way. Very exciting. It says, come on. Let's leave the preschool finger painting exercises on Christ. Thank God for finger painting. But let us leave that one. That's preschool stuff. All right? It says, leave the preschool finger painting exercise on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place. Turning your back on salvation by self-help. Turning in trust toward God. Baptismal instructions. Laying on of hands. Resurrection of the dead. Eternal judgment. God helping us will stay true to all that, but there is so much more. Say to your neighbor, there's so much more. Thank God we know about grace. Hallelujah. We're saved by grace. Thank God we know about faith, and we are learning how to use our faith to meet our needs. Thank God we know about baptism, but there's so much more. Hallelujah. Because that same faith you are using to meet your needs, God wants you to use that same faith in him to change the world. It's the same faith to change the world. Maturity is seen in two things. Number one, the extent with which you serve others, with which you start using your skill, your wisdom, your contacts, your influence to serve others. I believe that the, whole, the only purpose of influence is to help somebody else up. The extent to which you are using your shape, you know your shape is, your, is an acronym for your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences, the extent to which you are using those in the service of others is the extent to which you are growing up. That's number one. Number two, the extent to which you are bringing solutions to the difficult problems around us. The extent to which we are using 
the power of God to solve problems around us. The extent to which you are listening to God and you are responding to the burdens he is putting on your heart and you are beginning to walk through those burdens by faith. That is the extent to which you are growing up in the law. If your Christian experience is all about you and what you need and what's not happening, then you are still a baby. He says, leave the finger painting preschool stage of what is this church doing for me? Are they serving me? You know, they talk to me right or badly or whatever it is. It says, leave the preschool finger painting stage. Let us lock arms together. Let us change the world. The sun has already come. He has already given us an example that we should follow in his steps. And now he has left and he has sent us his spirit. And his spirit has come to lead, to live on the inside of us and lead us through that same process. Following in his steps, solving problems, using the power of heaven to change the earth. That is what the spirit is doing in you. Hallelujah. You can truly do all things for the strength of Christ is on the inside of you. The resources of God are available to you. Do not be afraid. Do not draw back. Do not think you are small. Do not think, oh, wait, I wait until I'm married. I wait until I have children. Let me wait until I graduate. Let me wait until, you know, I get married or, you know, whatever. You are qualified now by him. Pay attention. Pay attention because the harvest is here. I'm going to end with this. You know, God is going to lead you through a path for the purpose of getting you to his destination for your life. He's going to lead you through a path to get you to his destination for your life. For it is only in this destination that he'll be glorified in your life. His purpose for you is not just so you can have a good life. Thank God we all want a good life and we all have a good life. But his plan for you is more than that. His purpose for you is to represent him, to be his ambassador, to be his ambassador, his representative, to be his light and to be his salt. So when the Lord comes into your life, he's going to invade your life with his spirit and he's going to lift you up from where you are and place you where you need to be. Some people have found themselves in this nation when they had no plan. They had no five-year plan to be here. Some people have found themselves in jobs, in locations. Some youth coppers in the old days that tried to change the, the location of their youth service found themselves in a village somewhere. The Lord is lifting his people and placing them where they need to be. The Lord is going to place you on a path because your life is too important for you to lead yourself. The Lord will place you on a path to get you to the destination that he has for you. Because his plan for us is that we will spread his fragrance in every place. It's not just in Banana Island that they need his fragrance. Yes, they need his fragrance there, but they need his fragrance in Kokomaiko. They need his fragrance in Nogu State, in Kavanchan, wherever it is in, on the country and on the uttermost part of the earth. Yeah? The Lord is going to place us in the place where his fragrance will be felt. You know, he said to his disciples, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. And then Philip said, God, show us the Father. He said, well, if you see me, you see the Father. Now, Jesus has gone, and his plan for us is so that men will be able to say, we want to see the Father and we'll say, come to me. I'll show you the Father. Amen. I will connect you to him. I am his ambassador. I am his emissary. If you want a prayer answered, they can come to you and you will connect them to God. Hallelujah. Did not the apostles say, look on us. What I have, I will give to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, arise and walk. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will bring liberty to the oppressed. In the name of the Lord, we will bring clarity to the confused. Hallelujah. 
that is what we are here for. And that is why God said to Ananias, I need you to go to Paul. I'm going to use you to connect me to Paul. I need you to go to Paul. You are my representative to him. God sent Cornelius to Peter. He said, Cornelius, go to Peter. Peter will show you the way. God is sending people to you. I said, God is sending people to you. They may come as problems. They may come as people that seem to have no future. But he's sending them to you. He's sending communities to you. He's sending states and nations to you. He's sending problems to you. Because in you and in the Christ in you, you will bring solutions. So let us respond to him and make that commitment to follow him. Let us hear his voice and he will lead us into all truth. Come on, let's bless the name of Jesus. Oh, come on, bless him. Bless him like he's real. Hallelujah. Bless him like he's listening to you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God.